My name's Gage. And I'm Ray. And you are probably not going to look at suitcases the same after this. Oh my, oh my goodness, that's so specific. Welcome to Gore Report. (laughs) (laughs) So hi, everybody. Hi, guys. We hope you're having a good day and a good week. And and a a good good life. As always, we hope you're having a good life. It feels really good to be back. We missed you. We really, really missed you. So I will open this episode up by just that, saying thank you, because you guys were very patient with us last week when we recorded the Linda and Charlotte Mulhall episode. Ooh, little did I know. Little did I know that that congestion was actually the beginning of me being really sick. It got a hole your little ass. <laughs> it, it definitely did. Like, I was down. Down for the count. Um, long story short, my week last week was laying in bed and crying. <laughs> the only good note on that is that Pokemon Scarlet and Violet came out. So I literally have been no-lifing Violet all week. <laughs> it's fantastic. If any of you love Pokemon like that... Pokemon's my favorite thing, so hiya. How you doing? <laughs> but yeah, that's the first thing I want to say thank you for. I felt like absolute shit. I thought you had COVID. Yeah, me too. It was awful. Like, I couldn't smell. I couldn't taste for days. It was it was awful. And the whole no taste, no smell thing yeah. was also present over the Thanksgiving holidays. So I couldn't even enjoy. Oh, no. I couldn't taste anything. So it was awful. But, That's hell. You know, I had a week of playing Pokemon. I feel much better now. We're here doing this. So, like, I'm good. <laughs> I have no complaints. I just wanted to give a quick thank you to everyone. And, oh, yeah, one more thing that we wanted to thank you guys for. 4.3 thousand plays. Which, that is... insane. That's absolutely insane. It is incredible to me. That might not seem like a lot to most, but to us, that is, like, staggering. Yeah. Especially considering when we started this show, you know, you can really tell that we're new and amateur and we kind of had no idea what we were doing. I mean, Um, we've definitely just don't listen to the previous episodes. (laughs) Don't listen to our first episodes. Don't do it. But, uh, you know, we've really grown into our craft over these few months and you guys being a part of the journey has made it incredible. And we're aware that this show would be nothing if it wasn't for all of you listening. So... Wow, just thanks. Like your support, your feedback, your constant tuning in, letting us know what you think, all of that jazz, it really, really is priceless. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thank you. We love you. As long as you consent to it, because consent is important. Yeah. <laughs> I will never fail to say that consent is important because it is. <laughs> Today's episode is a bit like the Keith Rondelich case. There's a lack of information regarding what Sarah Boone or Jorge's childhood was like, how they met, things like that. So the information I could find and compile is mainly surrounding the actual crime that took place, what she did, and some of her unusual behavior after the fact. Oh, I'm so excited to get into this one. Today's case is really wild. Buckle in, guys. 
For everything you've done to me. So. For everything you've done to me. So. Fuck you. Sarah. Fuck you. Sarah. <laughs> Stupid. Sarah. That's my name. Don't wear it up. Sarah. I can't fucking breathe, babe. Where is he? Yeah, that's when you do and choke me. Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, I can't breathe, babe. That's on you. Sarah, I can't breathe. It's on you. Sarah. Reel around some. I want to get video for it extra. Because I got this. Sarah. That was the last few moments of Jorge Torres Jr.'s life. Holy fuck. The goosebumps. Begging his girlfriend to let him out of a suitcase she zipped him up in. Oh my god. So this sounds like a made up story, but it is 100% real. This case is so mind blowing. And many people on TikTok claim this is relationship nightmare fuel and quite possibly their 13th reason why they will never trust anyone again. I mean, I can't say I blame them. It's definitely nightmare fuel. That was really fucking awful to listen to. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Like the goosebumps that I have right now. Oh, my God, I, my legs are reduced to chicken legs. <laughs> All I got are chicken legs. <laughs> chicken legs. Oh, no. Oh, no. Thanks. All of a sudden, I retract my statement. I'm not excited. <laughs> I'm not excited for this guy. So this happened back in February of 2020 in Winter Park, Florida, at the couple's townhouse near Aloma Avenue and Goldenrod Road. Mm-hmm. And this was before the pandemic peaked. So, Sarah Boone and Jorge Torres Jr., who is also known as George, so I'll call him George. Okay. They began dating around 2017. So, they had been together for three years, give or take. They're both 42 years old at the time this happened, and they both have children. Sarah has a young son with her ex-husband, and George has three kids by his ex-wife. Okay. Okay, gotcha. After three years of dating, they both were working on making their relationship better and being better partners because their relationship was apparently pretty tumultuous. Uh, I would not think it would be safe to say that that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and court records show that Sarah was charged with battery by strangulation in 2018 after she and George returned home from a bar and got into a physical fight. Oh, my God. Police noted in an arrest affidavit that George had red marks and abrasions on his neck and that Sarah had a bruised right eye for talking to another man at a bar. What the fuck? Both of them gave contradictory stories about what happened and said they did not want to testify against each other. The case was later closed. Authorities couldn't tell who the aggressor was, so they both got arrested. 
Oh, my goodness. George was charged with battery three times in 2019. His most recent arrest was in September of that year when Sarah accused him of punching her in the left ear. Now, you know that shit's got to hurt. Oh, my God. I know. I was actually, I didn't say anything, but I was like, oh, what a fucking weird spot to be punched. (laughs) My earlobe. So this resulted in a no contact order being put in place. Gotcha. Now, a no contact order is actually different from a restraining order. Did you know that? I actually did not. I'm not ashamed to admit when I don't know something. I did not know that. Both forms of legal action prohibit any contact by one person to the other. One of the main differences is that restraining orders often last up to a year and they're temporary. No contact orders are binding contracts that can only be removed by the district attorney or the judge who's working the case. So they're a wee bit more permanent. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I really didn't know that. Thanks for thanks for that fun fact there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. We learn something every day, it seems. Every damn day. <laughs> <laughs> so George violated the no contact order and paid Sarah a visit at her apartment. And she didn't encourage him to come over, but she didn't resist it either. Gotcha. So. It's one of those little gray area coded yeah, situations. Yeah. Everything seemed to be going all right until they got into another fight. Again, George was arrested. This is one of three instances that happened throughout 2019. Wow. Like, these two cannot just leave each other alone. In the the throes of toxicity. The thing is, and excuse me if I go on a little tangent here, but you often see this with domestic violence cases. Mm -hmm. A lot of times the abuser will love bomb you and make you feel on top of the world Then when it becomes difficult to manipulate you, a huge fight gets started and it often gets physical. There is literally an entire process of how an abuser will literally entrap a victim into that situation. And it's it's not easy. It's not as easy as just getting up and going. Yeah. And I mean, like there really is a whole process behind this cycle of abuse that takes. And when you're a victim of that and you finally feel like. You have just had enough and you have to get away. That's when the love bombing starts all over again and the fake apologies and the I'll never do it again. The false promises of change and doing better, all that other good, great shit. It's a vicious cycle that unfortunately works time and time again. Mm -hmm. This was apparently the case with Sarah and George. On the evening of Sunday, February 24th, 2020, Sarah and George were having one of their good days. They even drank a whole bottle of wine. Oh, no. And get this. They were doing puzzles, painting, and even playing hide-and-seek. I'm sorry, Gage, but I'm not playing no damn hide-and-seek with no grown person. (laughs) Especially not no damn 42-year-old. Now, I might pop up on you and go, what it is, bitch? Watch out. Right. But hide and seek? Like, that is a fuck no for me. I mean, I can't say that that's, you know, I'm not going to go off and say that that's, like, weird necessarily. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know. I guess I really don't have a lot of a lot of feedback at this point. It just, the vibe currently is unlikable. <laughs> because we are talking about this on our podcast. Not a so, vibe. So the vibe, is, the vibe is very unlikable. Very, very, very unsettling. And, uh... Oh, wow, I'm nervous. (laughs) 
So Sarah thought that it'd be funny for George to hide in a suitcase. But let's think about this logically. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. Wait, she wait, wait. wanted him to hide in a suitcase. But doesn't that break a very important rule of hide and seek? How in the hell are you going to play hide and seek with someone, but you're going to help them hide, thus knowing where they are? I was just going to make that point. That is not hide and seek. <laughs> 42-year-old and want to play hide and seek, red flag. Sarah wanting George to get into a suitcase, say it with me, red, red flag. flag. Sarah wanting to... Zip the suitcase up with George inside, red flag. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, I'm squidward and I'm nervous. (laughs) (laughs) According to Sarah, it was 11 p.m. and she was getting tired. So she went upstairs to the bedroom, got ready for bed, and fell asleep waiting for George to join her. (laughs) You guys probably didn't hear that, but there was a physical energy shift with how my jaw just hit this table. (laughs) What do you mean, Sarah? Waiting for him to join you. This is just... um, You locked him in a goddamn suitcase. Yeah. How, Sarah, is he going to join you? I would love to know. (laughs) We'll get into that later. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's actually little details I did not know about this case. Like, I obviously know who Sarah Boone is. I knew what she did and a very matter-of-fact, just baseline information. But these little details, wow, wow. When I tell you I did a deep dive on this, I did a deep dive. That makes it that much more unnerving. Truly, it does. Like, all jokes aside, this is unnerving. This is incredibly unnerving. Continue. Take, Excuse take me. Take a deep breath. Decompartmentalize. <laughs> I'm going to buckle in with the rest of you. And I'm just going to sit back and shut up. Baby, this is only the beginning. <laughs> this is only the beginning. Woo. <laughs> so she goes upstairs. She ends up falling asleep. She then claims she woke up at 11 a.m. by her phone going off. And then she magically remembers that her boyfriend is inside the suitcase. Sarah gets downstairs and opens the suitcase up, and in her words, she said that George was stiff and purple. Oh, my God. So she then calls her ex-husband, who lives 10 minutes away. When he got there, he sees George, then he tells her to call 911. She didn't think to do that initially herself? No. Oh, my God. Wow. Holy shit. Now, that is just the baseline of what it is. Gotcha. But I sat and watched. We still got some path to trip. So many videos. Oh my god. And looked up so much information. There are definitely more details here that are being left out. And you will find that out later. Yeah, I, I can okay. All right. Like I said, I'm gonna get this little cup of cup of drink over here and I'm just gonna sit back with the rest of you. <laughs> We're gonna freak the fuck out together and uh <laughs> Alrighty, woo, excuse me, I'm uh, anxiety rambling. <laughs> so what I have for you right now is the 911 call. Now tell me exactly what happened there. Uh, my boyfriend and I were playing last night, and mm-hmm. I put him in a case and we were playing. And okay. like kind of hide and seek kind of thing, so I fell asleep, and I woke up, and he was dead in the suitcase, so I don't know what happened. Okay, is he hanging from somewhere or what, ma'am? No, I pulled him out of the suitcase. I tried giving him CPR. Just keep on pumping. That's all you need to do for me. Keep 
keep on pumping his chest for me. That's, I don't need you to stop and talk or anything. I just want you to count out loud for me, okay? 31. 32. Please hurry. Okay, ma'am, they're getting there as fast as they can, okay? He's deaf and he's purple. Sarah performed CPR on George until the first responders could get there, and once they got there, they informed her that he had been down too long. He was dead. Yeah, there was nothing else they could do for him. Oh, my goodness. So here's where things start to get a little hanky. As if it already hasn't gotten a little hanky. Um, yeah. Just a wee little bit. Well, it just gets way worse. It's like I said, like, a couple of minutes ago, Oh, I'm squidward and wow, I'm nervous. <laughs> so the police, <laughs> they now have Sarah outside, and they're asking her questions. Mm-hmm. She's not emotional at all. In fact, she's doing a pretty terrible job of acting like she's traumatized. The police body cam shows Sarah standing outside of the apartment, calm and almost emotionless. But she wanted to go back inside first to get her cigarettes or second to go get a drink. What the hell? And when she realized that the officer wouldn't let her inside... She then asked the officer to go get her a drink, and she very specifically said, my Dr. Pepper is on the counter. What in the fuck? Not at all acting like she's upset at all about her partner of three years dying. Wow, that is... Dude, after repeatedly being told she cannot go back in the apartment, she at one point tries to inch her way into the apartment, and the officer stops her and she tells her again, you can't go in the apartment. Like, at this time, it's a crime scene. Oh, my God. So the officer starts to get Sarah to talk to her about what happened. And at first, she's calm. But then she seems to dial up the drama when she needs to. So she comes off as hysterical and barely holding it together. She begins repeatedly asking this officer for water and repeatedly being told that she can't go inside. And I'm talking back to back, like, I need some water. I really need some water. I have cotton mouth so bad. Like, watching the footage makes you look at her in a very not-so-good kind of way. Yeah. Like, what in the fuck are you thinking, Sarah? <laughs> Obviously about her Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> we I walked. Mean... There was a door there. And we I opened walk- it and walked right into it. <laughs> that is exactly what we just did. So, continue. Continue. All right. <laughs> Watching, wow. Wow, bitch, wow. I watched the body cam footage again. And watching this officer talk to Sarah, like, it is painful to watch. Because yeah. it's just like, really? The, the complete disregard for what she had done. And she claims that she woke up sometime around 11 and that she was awake in bed until around 12.30. And that's when she noticed that George was still in the suitcase. But her ex-husband, Brian, told the officer that he was trying to figure out if she was going to pick up their son, Lucas, from school that day or not. Because apparently it was her day to pick him up. Mm-hmm. And that he had called her at 11.30 a.m. She didn't answer. He also said that he would call her every 30 minutes to an hour or so to try to get in touch with her. Yeah. One thing that I did pick up from Brian, he stated that she wasn't very good about being present to pick her son up due to drinking. Oh, Apparently, wow. this was a regular deal for her. Okay. 
At 12.49, Brian finally got in touch with Sarah, and that's when she began to fill him in on what's going on. The fact that she had just realized her boyfriend was still in the suitcase and is now dead. Yeah, which that's insane to me because you said she claimed she woke up at 11, but laid in bed for an hour. Yeah, Yeah, an hour and a half awake. Like, I don't know, Sarah. Did you not wake up and notice? I don't know that George isn't with you. (laughs) Did it take you an hour and a half alone in bed to realize that? I don't know that he never made it out of the fucking suitcase that you locked him in. Wow. Mind blowing. Right. I just, that is insane to me. It's not adding up. There's just some immediate little holes in that story that are like, I don't know, bitch. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't really know. It was around one when the officer arrived there to get information from Sarah. What seems off to me, Sarah woke up, realized George was still in the suitcase. Then she went downstairs, pulled him out of the suitcase, performed CPR. Then instead of calling 911 immediately, she called her ex-husband instead. Yeah, that is a little little more than suspicious. She claims she called him over because she didn't know what to do. And I think that's just absurd. Yeah, what you do is call 911. What do you mean you don't know what to do? You mean to tell me if your partner, your significant other, was found dead, that you wouldn't be a hysterical, broken-down mess and calling 911 right away? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a little, it is a little weird. And the short amount of time that all this allegedly took place, it just seems off to me. Right away. It is. It's incredibly off. Or at least in my opinion, I think it is. Yes, very much so. I mean, it, not just your opinion. It, like, is. It is off. <laughs> For sure. According to Brian, they had gotten into at least five fights that he knew of that resulted in George's arrest. He also stated that George was on parole because of the domestic violence, and he had to take a class and get some sort of counseling. Mm-hmm. And let me be clear. The officer asked, if there were any medical issues or illnesses that he was suffering from, and both Sarah and Brian said no or not to their knowledge. Okay. A post-mortem examination revealed that he died of positional asphyxia with environmental suffocation consistent with prolonged confinement. The report also revealed that George had alcohol in his system at the time of his death, which isn't a surprise because even Sarah said that they that had been they were drinking. drinking. Yeah, so that, that would make sense. Based on the medical examiner's findings, they estimated that George had been in the suitcase for up to 11 hours or more. Holy shit. He had a black eye and other bruises and cuts on his head, scratch marks on his back and the back of his neck. His What? Yep. His back and his hands also had abrasions, bruises, and cuts, indicating blunt impacts around the body, according to the examiner. Gotcha. They also determined that these bruises and cuts happened recently. These were not from a prior fight. Yeah, so it seems to be there was a lot more to this story than just them playing hide-and-seek And her assisting him into a suitcase. There was obviously a lot more to that. Right. Clearly. So we established this with the Kendrick Johnson case, what positional asphyxia is. Mm -hmm. And to recap, positional asphyxia occurs when a person is placed in a posture that prevents or impedes normal breathing. If your neck is hyperflexed in any direction, forward or backward, or in some cases side to side, you can essentially cut off your airway. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I'm gathering he must have been in the fetal position or something similar, which could not only put pressure on his chest, but I imagine he had some sort of hyperflexion going on. Yeah, well, I don't really see how it would be possible for an adult to fit into a, well, given I don't really know what the suitcase looked like or how big it was, but wouldn't the fetal position be about the only way you could really fit in it and it be zipped up? or That's what I'm thinking, unless you're... Unless the suitcase is huge, you know, given, well, like I said. Well, it was a big suitcase. I mean, obviously, she did get him in the suitcase and, and was zipped able it up. To, yeah, true, true. You I know? was just thinking, like, I don't really know many positions that I could really see you fitting in there. Yeah. You know? It, it was just Yeah, weird. so just let your brain paint whatever picture because we don't know what he looked like inside the suitcase. Gotcha, Obviously. Gotcha. We're just speculating. As asphyxia progresses and more oxygen is depleted, a dark discoloration of the skin and tissues called cyanosis develops. Cyanotic tissue is described as blue, black, or purplish in color. When she said that he was stiff and purple, that's because his body was deprived of oxygen. In a healthy human, you've probably got up to five minutes. How long can you hold your breath, right? <laughs> Wrong. You can actually lose consciousness fairly quickly when the environment you're in is a damn suitcase. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, if, if there's one lesson you take from this episode, kids, let it be that one. <laughs> don't do that. Don't fucking do it. <laughs> because, you know, if you're deprived of oxygen for too long, that's it. You're done. And in certain instances, you can not only lose consciousness because of your environmental factors. It could kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. You'll lose consciousness and then you'll just die from not being able to breathe. It's rough shit. So get this shit. Apparently... When the detectives were doing their interviews of, you know, people around, they talked to the next door neighbor. Mm -hmm. His name is Elijah Walker. Listen to this. Do you recall hearing anything coming from apartment three while you were, um, after you had gotten home? Uh, around 1030 or 11 o'clock, there was a very loud crashing sound where uh, I believe, I'm not sure I haven't been in their apartment with my roommate, but I did he say that he heard something fall down the fucking stairs yeah oh wow that is he said that he heard a loud crashing sound starting high and ending low. Oh, like top of the stairs to bottom of the stairs. Yeah. Wow, that is. I know it was a little hard to hear because the detective kept moving things around around the recording. But yeah, I, I got the gist of it, yeah. though. That is just when God. I heard that I was like, oh, well, that makes it. I mean, this whole case already. Let's just be real. It's unnerving. It's, it's extremely unnerving, but. The possibility of, you know, whether, you know, we're just speculating, mm. but could it be a possibility that she put him in the suitcase first at the top of the stairs and then threw him down the stairs in the suitcase? That would explain 
all of these magical injuries he had Mm -hmm. when he was examined afterwards. And it's like, wow, Sarah, this is fucking cruel. Yeah, I will. Like, wow. I actually speculated that, too. I couldn't find any concrete evidence that that is what happened. Yeah, we're just speculating. But but you are onto something, and I will get to that very soon. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. So I know in the Dorothea Puente case... um, like That's you, one of our old you, ones. Could you just imagine hearing, thump, 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 you no, know, like, no, just, absolutely not. I absolutely could not. Like I just, actually forget that shit happened. Right. With like just hearing something go down the stairs like that, knowing that something isn't right about it. Elijah actually told News 13 reporters that it wasn't unusual for police to be at the couple's apartment. The walls here are very thin. You can hear them yelling, shouting, slamming things around. They definitely had a violent history from what I can tell and hear through the walls. Are you ready for some hot tea? Oh, goodness. Yes. So apparently the investigators also talked to the property manager, Melissa Sexton. She stated that the couple moved in February 9th of 2018, and at first, Sarah came to the office with bruises on her and was asking how to go about taking George off the lease. Melissa said she would have bruises, handprints, and at one point in time, she had to go to the hospital for some gash in her shin as a result of one of these fights. Oh, wow. There were times that Sarah confided in Melissa And Melissa was doing her best to counsel her and told her that she had to make a decision on whether or not she was going to stay with him or kick him out. Right. She also made it clear that Sarah should probably seek some sort of help. Wow. That is actually insane. That gives so much context. She goes on to talk about numerous noise complaints and that she had seen both of them intoxicated as early as 9 o'clock in the morning. Oh, wow. There was even an instance where Sarah was wandering around the property drunk and not properly dressed. Oh, my goodness. Or that's how Melissa put it. Uh, She said that these complaints would come in all the time for months consistently, so she approached George and Sarah and set up a meeting with them. Quick side note, There was even apparently a fight that they had gotten into that spilled over into someone else's apartment. Like literally? Like literally. Like they had gotten into it. And George was obviously like very drunk and he ended up entering someone's apartment yelling for her, looking for her. Oh my God. So this was not only clearly very, very volatile, but very violent. They had a very violent relationship. Yes. Oh my, oh my God. Melissa says she goes over to their house to get the rent and to talk to them. And they were actually sober. Uh, She goes on to say that she never had a problem with them for several months after that. You know, she said it was like they had some sort of epiphany. There was an instance where Melissa even talked to George one-on-one, and she said they talked for about 30 minutes. And listen to what she tells the investigators in this clip. My jaw hit the fucking floor.
in my, I'll say my perception of what he was trying to explain is that she's very hands-on, in the face, you know, dramatized in talking and explaining or, or fussing or whatever they might be doing. Right. And I, I believe that because Jean, my assistant, doesn't even like to deal with her with a greater like the plate <laughs> because she was always drunk and she's very hands-on. Uh, there was one day, as a matter of fact, it was that same day that I talked to George by himself. She kept grabbing me by the arms to the point that I told her, I said, So in case you had a hard time listening, you know, not being able to make out what she was saying, because mm -hmm. it was a little hard for me. I see what you said. Like before the clip, you were like, your jaw hit, hit the ground. Mine did too. Yeah. She was basically saying that she went over there to go talk to them. And, you know, George had actually confided in her and told her that Sarah was the aggressor. Yeah, that she was the really, really aggressive, abusive one. Yeah, and he was saying that, you know, she's very hands-on and kind of overdramatic sometimes. And she was saying that, obviously, I take that to, to be truth because she was grabbing me by the arm so much that I was like, you touch you me touch one me more again. time, we're going to have a problem. Right. That is absolutely mind-blowing because... And she also said, I don't know if you caught it, that her assistant... Did not like to deal with Sarah because she was always drunk. Yeah, that uh, she avoided her like the plague. Yeah. If I heard that correctly. Mm -hmm. It did, in fact, blow my mind because I will say, in this situation, abuse is abuse. Yes. It does not really matter which one of them was abusing the other. They could have both been abusing each other. Mm -hmm. But there for a minute, you really had me thinking... That Sarah was a victim. You really had me thinking for a second. I was like, damn, this, she's in a very violent relationship. You mm -hmm. tell me about how George goes into someone else's apartment and is screaming for her. That had me a little, I was like, okay, that's a little, that's a layer there. Right. But then you hear that and it just kind of, what little security I thought that I had and what I thought was just swept out from <laughs> under me. And now it's like, was this a matter of, Sarah being a very violent aggressor, because I'm sorry, you can agree with me or not agree with me. I really personally don't care, but women can, in fact, abuse men, too. Yes, they do. Women, in and fact, they do can be every abusers. Day. And it they do every the day. It does happen all the time. So whether this is a matter of Sarah abusing George or George abusing Sarah, them abusing one another, that just, it really adds another crazy fucking layer to mm -hmm. all of this. Like Because that's the property manager, someone that has dealt with them prolonged over excuse me over a prolonged period of time yeah that has dealt with them face to face constantly dealt with these complaints these you know having both sarah and george confide in her so mm -hmm. she's getting she's getting an inside glimpse as much as someone can who's not in the relationship she's right. like one of the closest people on the outside right and because so it just it blows my mind it really blows my mind like what do you make of that you like know? sarah went into the office with obvious like domestic abuse marks on her and i'm going to put the full video in the show notes so you guys can check it out for yourself to see what their relationship is like from an outside source mm -hmm. but basically they were confidants like they were like sarah would talk to her about her issues with George. And then George would do the same about his issues with Sarah. Well, obviously not, you know, for like that was supposed to be the first time that gotcha. she had talked to George. 
Wow. Supposedly about oh, about all the fighting going on. I see around. what you're saying. So Sarah was the main one that was confiding. Yes. Versus George talking to her that one occasion. Yes. That it, makes it got sense. to a head, and she was like, "Okay, we got to have a meeting because you know there are there Things were are several instances around the apartment complex." That is insane. And so we have to ask, like, you know, as we think about these two questions, was she a victim of domestic violence and got pushed too far? Mm-hmm. Or was she the abuser posing as the victim? Those are those are the biggest two questions in this case. And you know what makes it scary is both of those questions seem equally very likely and real. But the problem wow. is he's dead. Exactly. He kind of can't speak for himself. Right. He can't defend himself. So. Goodness. So now we're going to do. If I didn't think this case was goddamn crazy before, (laughs) I damn sure now. (laughs) Damn sure now I do. So now we're going to do a little deep dive into the interrogation. Okay. So according to Sarah, small recap here, her and George were having a good night. They were outside smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. They come into the house. They begin to work a puzzle. They start listening to music and then begin to paint. Somewhere in the midst of all this creativity, they decided to play hide and seek. She claims the suitcase was already downstairs and they thought it would be funny if the suitcase was his hiding spot. She denies zipping it up all the way and claims that she left two fingers of space so he could get out. I don't believe that. I don't mean to speak too prematurely, but I don't believe that. Because if he would have had a way to get himself out, he would have. He was freaking out. Right. I don't believe she did either. She went upstairs to hide in the shower. Then got tired of waiting, laid down in bed around 11 o'clock, and accidentally fell asleep sometime around 1230. This is bizarre. Here are All the things that stood out to me above a lot. One, she kept trying to convince the investigators that she wasn't an alcoholic, but George was. And then when asked about how much wine they had, Sarah kept deflecting and talking about how much she hates to get drunk and she has to have her wits about her. Which gets fishy because Brian even told the officer on scene that she was a problematic drunk. And then you take... The property manager's account of Sarah being constantly drunk. Yes. So that's, wow. Oh my yeah. God. Continue. I'm There's sorry. There's a lie there. <laughs> there is There is a few. Sarah began to tell them the abuse in the relationship and said that she even began to document the abuse on her phone, but kept saying, you guys took my phone. You'll see everything he's done on my phone. Oh, shit. Number three. This is the third thing that stuck out to me. Here's a red flag. She unsuccessfully tries to inflate her character, saying things like, George needs me. I take care of him all the time. Yet in the same interview, she says that he's basically stuck up her ass and never lets her have a moment of alone time. That is is very abuser-typical language. Right. That is extremely abuser-like language. Four, the suitcase... It was originally buried in the back of their closet upstairs. According to Sarah, George pulled it out, brought it downstairs, and it was going to be used for donations that they were putting together. When asked 
if she ever zipped him up in the suitcase before, she was very adamant to be like, no, absolutely not. No. What in the fuck, Sarah? When confronted about the bruises and cuts on George's body, she repeatedly states she had no idea how they got there and also repeatedly says, I never touched him several times. Several times. I never touched him. And he goes, well, you, you know, the investigator, he goes, well, you tell me where they came from. Where did these cuts and bruises come from? Somebody goes, touched him. She goes, well, when you find out, let me know so I can find out. Oh, bitch. Right. Bitch. Like, are you serious? And she keeps going, I never touched him. I never touched him. It's rather ironic that she kept bringing up her phone, too, a lot in this interrogation. Because they did look through her phone. And you know what they found? Uh, let me take a guess. Does that have something to involve the very first clip we listened to earlier? They found fucking videos. <laughs> Bitch. Sarah was so drunk, she took two videos of George in that suitcase. Which is what we heard at the beginning of this episode. Mm -hmm. 11 minutes apart, you can see him pushing and moving in the suitcase. Like, like trying to get out. Yeah. Oh calling her God. name, saying he can't breathe, and begging to be let out. Meanwhile, she's sitting there for everything you've done to me. Fuck you. Calling him stupid. You know, that's what it feels like when you cheat on me. That's what it feels like when you choke me. It's on you that you can't breathe. Right. Like, yeah, that is... That does not look good, Sarah. <laughs> Not to mention the fact the suitcase was moved between the two videos. What? Yes. So, okay, so you have the neighbor's account saying that he heard the crashing coming down the stairs. Mm -hmm. If you logically think about it, this suitcase was buried in the back of the closet. Supposedly. Upstairs. upstairs. Gotcha. Supposedly, George unburied it and pulled it out and was going to bring it down to put donations in. And they were just going to drop the whole suitcase off. Mm -hmm. But with the crashing coming down the stairs, that suitcase was pulled out. She either physically got violent with him and either coerced him or forced him into this suitcase. This is this is all my own assumption, by the no, way. No, I mean, I, I it's see starting that. to make sense. But then you hear the crashing. She pushed him down the stairs in the suitcase. Goes to make videos of the suitcase. The suitcase was laying lid down on the floor at first. And you could see him pushing up on it. The next video, it's laying on its back with the zipper part up toward the ceiling. Oh, my So between God. those two videos, she moved. She moved it. That is... Yet when confronted with the video... First, she asks, how long is the video? Because I don't think I can take anymore. Are you fucking kidding me, Sarah? What I, do you mean you she, can't take anymore? Says, you filmed it. She says, "Uh, you know, I just don't know how much my, I can take. Really? Because that so, didn't seem to be the case when you fucking filmed it. And then said she'd rather not watch it. Oh, my God. She claims she doesn't remember making the video because she had been drinking, yet earlier during questioning, she said they both had their wits about them, and she just hates getting drunk. Yeah, she was so adamant about how non-alcoholic she was. Hmm. Wow, Sarah. Yeah, this, this, that, none, none of this looks good. She also claims she didn't have malicious intentions when she was saying, fuck you to George. While he was begging to be let out of a suitcase claiming he couldn't breathe. You had no malicious intent by telling him, fuck you, this is how I feel when mm -hmm. you choke me. That's on you. Uh-huh. 
And then, Sarah. And then over and over and over again, she keeps saying, not intentional. It was not intentional. It was not intentional. That was pretty fucking intentional. Through two hours of the interrogation video, that's all you hear her say most of the time. Is, it, not intentional. It wasn't intentional. Then and what trying was it? to trying to backpedal to explain her way out of it. Wow. Oh my god. Yeah. Yet the detectives explained, even though she was saying this over and over and over again, the detectives explained over and over again that it was intentional because she made the decision to walk past him, go up the stairs, and go to fucking sleep. Exactly. Like, mic drop on that one, exactly. Sarah claims she didn't intentionally zip up the suitcase all the way either. She said she left finger space so he could get out, and she didn't intentionally mean to go upstairs and go to sleep knowing he was downstairs in a suitcase. Like, come on! This case will just take you places. I'm telling you. Not very pleasant ones. Now, as I said, I I am so blown. I know. I'm blown. I'm really blown. I know. Now you understand why this <laughs> fucked me up so bad. Look, it's not even the end of the episode, you guys. I'm going to say this prematurely. You have done the damn thing. The damn thing needs to be done. Oh, my God. <laughs> I am so blown by this. So check this out. I told you I watched the two full hours, the whole interrogation. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can literally... See, you can see the tactic of gaslighting going on. You will see how gaslighting works and what I like to call circlebacks. To me, circlebacks are when the conversation continuously goes in a circle because one person feels like they have to have control of the situation. So they keep circling back saying, no, you don't understand me and then repeat the exact same thing they just said. Yeah, that's a loop. Yeah, Sarah did that so many times during the interrogation. You could see the detectives visibly getting angry and having to leave the room to de-escalate. <laughs> like, one would get up and leave the room and, you know, leave the other person there. And, and then, then the they other would have one, to switch. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> that is wild. Like, that's how bad it was. Like, watching that video, you can actually see the manipulation tactics that she was trying to use, and it did not work. That's absolutely fucking insane. Toward the end of the interrogation, my blood pressure was rising. Oh, like mine right now? <laughs> yes, because, check this out. Toward the end of the interrogation, they sat in silence for a while. Because, like, she wouldn't speak or because, like, the detectives were just so... They couldn't get anywhere. It kept going in circles. Oh, my God. So, they're toward the end, you know, and she is just trying to defend herself from all these things that she thinks, you know... uh, That she's being accused of. And she even admitted. She even admitted that it looked bad. She even admitted that it looked bad. No shit, Sarah. No shit. (laughs) You know, these detectives, they were getting angry that they weren't getting the truth out of her. And Sarah was, of course, getting angry because none of her manipulation tactics were working. And the lame attempt to make herself out to be the saint. And George was such a demon. Like, obviously not thinking about the fact that these detectives had talked to her neighbors and they've gone through her phone. They spoke to the property manager. She was not thinking about anything other than trying to talk her way out of this very serious situation. And when the detectives brought up to her 
that they had talked to her neighbors and they were saying that, you know, they were seeing her intoxicated all the time. She actually tried to gaslight the detective again. It's just, it was wild to watch. <laughs> the, the thing that angered me most in this case, it was when she sat there in front of the detectives and had the audacity to ask them if she should be the one to call his parents and let them know their son is dead. Are you fucking kidding me? She was like... You're fucking kidding no. me. No, she was like, do I need to call them or are you guys going to call them? Like, I just need to know what's going on here. Sarah. Here's another kicker for you. Oh, God. At the end of the interrogation, right, she has these papers in hand and she picks them up because obviously these are papers that they give you when they confiscate items to search it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that way they're saying this is what we confiscated, acknowledging that that's your property. Mm -hmm. She actually asked them about getting the phone and her son's laptop back. Sarah... Okay, those last two points absolutely blew my fucking mind. First thing, Sarah, you are being interrogated because you killed your boyfriend. There's videos on your phone of you killing your boyfriend. Where in your mind do you think that you're going to get any of that back? The next thing, where in your brain do you think that the correct person to tell George's family about his death is the person that literally fucking killed him? On February 25th, 2020, Sarah Boone was arrested by Orange County deputies. In her trial, she faces second-degree murder in George's death, which was expected to begin earlier this year, but was ultimately rescheduled to January 30th, 2023. Oh, so that's soon. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's really soon. Her pretrial hearing was scheduled for January 17th, 2023. Her trial was originally scheduled for November 7th, but there has been an update because apparently Sarah is talking about representing herself. Now, that is a rumor. I don't know how true that is, but that's Mm -hmm. what I heard. Holy shit. Court documents show Boone wrote a letter dated October 3rd, 2022, to her lawyer, Frank Bankowitz, appearing to be upset with him for his lack of communication with her while she's in the Orange County Jail. Wow, she just keeps showing these personality traits. You keep seeing them. Yep, here's a small snippet from one of those letters that she wrote to her attorney. Oh, goodness. Quote, as of today, October 3rd, you have been my court-appointed attorney for almost three months. In parentheses, 12 weeks, 84 days. What the fuck? And only spoken to me three times. I would at least know all is well and have a better understanding of the status of some things, what to plan on, or what I may need to work on. End quote. I included the full letter on Instagram for you guys to check out. Um, she also wrote a letter to Judge Wooten, who is presiding over this case, and I've also included that letter as well. And there are a couple We will pages. be posting those to our Instagram if you guys want to go check those out. So we are waiting her trial, her pre-trial and her trial. I want to see her held accountable, regardless of what their relationship was like. Mm-hmm. I want to see her held accountable. Unfortunately, all we have left 
is time as we await her trial. And that concludes our case of Sarah Boone. Goodness gracious. It's a ride. It was a ride for sure. Okay, again, for the second time this episode. I think this is the first episode where I've had to say this twice. But you did the damn thing. (laughs) I am so thrilled, so ecstatic that the damn thing is done. (laughs) That was absolutely mind-bending. I just learned that case in a whole new Really awful way. Like, my goodness, that that is wild. We're going to have to do some case updates for when her yeah. trial happens. Yeah, so what I'm planning for that, we will probably do any type of case that we have where it has Future not yet happen. been concluded. Yeah, I was thinking we could put the updates in our beginning business. We'll very quickly give you an update on said case and what episode to check out? You and know just what we what we could. There. You know what we could call those tidbits. What short reports? <laughs> oh, I think we're on to something. I love it. Well, you guys, we appreciate you tuning in this week. As always, we're so grateful that you're here. So happy to have you. If you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our weird, well, we got news for you. You can definitely do that. Find us on Facebook at Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. And on Twitter. At Gore Report. (gasps) We love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get off of here and do anything we can do to get this off of our minds. I have no intention of ever looking at a goddamn suitcase again. That is it. Bye. Bye. Bye.